0: Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. Those of you who know me know that I love music. And yeah, I've seen fish over a hundred times, but my tastes are wide and varied. Everything from the Clash to Sinatra to Dylan to Coltrane to Aretha and Otis to Patsy Klein to The Roots. I get around when it comes to music. But this episode's human, Jason, has an even wider array of musical tastes, and as you'll hear, a huge record collection. I met Jason through a co worker with whom he cohabitates, and I've gotten to know him a little bit more. And Jason is the human behind the Brian Talks to Humans logos. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do too. Here's episode four with Jason. We're mobile tonight in Livingston, New Jersey, and today's human is...
1: Jason McCown.
0: So, Jason, tell me about the intro music that you chose.
1: Um, it was a song that my current band wrote called The Tree Grows in Fishtown, and I picked it because, particularly when we were recording in the studio, there was a few songs that weren't finished, and this was one that wasn't finished, and... We had a little bit of trouble with it, but in the end it turned out that we all really liked it. The end product we were like we were cool with it and it was like a it was a really nice surprise. So I thought that would be a great song to put on there.
0: So uh, the band's name is Duffy's Cut, correct? Yes. So where does that name come from?
1: Um, it is based on a stretch of railroad outside of Philadelphia where Fifty-seven Irish immigrants disappeared, and I'm not exactly sure of the year, but it was within the past twenty years that they found some bodies and found out the guy that owned that stretch of railroad whose name last name was Duffy. They supposedly murdered these people because they thought they had cholera. So they say, no one really knows the truth. So they buried them in a mass grave, and they found out a lot of them died of, like, force trauma and stuff. But Amtrak owns that railroad now, and they won't let them dig any further to find out, to find the rest of the bodies. They, they've they only recovered maybe, like, two or three.
0: So so this happened, like, in the mid-1800s or something?
1: Yeah, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but it was definitely the, I would say, mid-1800s. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I know that uh, a lot of times um, Irish were considered sometimes preferable to uh, enslaved people right. because enslaved people cost money, to, and they were like an investment. Right. You know, whereas the Irish were considered sometimes more disposable. You know, in certain uh, places, uh, there's a guy David Rodeger, who wrote a book uh, about like how workers. From different ethnicities, quote unquote, became white, right? And and that's that's in there.
1: When we were trying to come up with a band name, um, we were having trouble with it. And then um, the guy in my band lives near that. And was like, why don't we call this? And he like told us a little story, and we're like, that sounds really cool. I mean, we're mostly all you know, Irish dudes anyway, so or of Irish descent. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it was cool. And we were like, we'll just go with that. And uh, what's the cut part?
0: Is that just the name for like the section? Yeah,
1: yeah. It was like a section because I guess it was like a bend
2: or something. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. I'll probably get crucified for like (laughs) not giving the most accurate details on it. But uh, from what I understand, that's that's what it was called. And uh, we just thought it was neat. And there's actually Immaculate University out in Pennsylvania that like heads all this stuff that has to do with Duffy's Cut and they were really angry at us and we started this band and this this angry email that like how dare you try to benefit off like this tragedy and we're like whoa if anything like we're trying to bring light to it you yeah, know yeah. we thought it was a neat piece of local history mm. and we're like no one really knows about this and we thought it was cool and a lot of times that comes up in interviews with our band is like what does that mean what is you know and then we can tell them all the interesting stuff about it
0: so, when did that band start? Uh,
1: 2012, I think. Um, I was in a previous band cranked up with the bass player and a guitarist. And uh, the chemistry we had together was... I don't, I've i never really had it since. You know what I mean? It was just like the chemistry we had together. Us three was so good that I was like, I need to play with those guys again. Because that band that broke up in 2006. So, yeah, in 2012, I was like, I miss playing with those guys. I like the stuff we wrote. It was cool. So I contacted them, and luckily they could do it. They all have, like, families now and stuff. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked out that we could play again, you know?
0: How often do you, do you get to play
1: out with them? Uh, well, I get, to, I get to practice with them once or twice a month. And maybe when things are going fine, once a month.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, our bass player had a shoulder injury mm. a few months ago, so we haven't played since October. But uh, in April, we're going to start playing again.
0: Cool. Yeah. So so when did you start playing drums?
1: 1984.
0: And how old were you then?
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, probably 11 or 10. My older brother got a kit for Christmas the one year. And... Uh, at first, he would kind of show me stuff, and then he just say, like, don't touch my drums, you know, <laughs> how older brothers do. So uh, I would always play when he was out or something like that. And I learned how to play drums. This is kind of hilarious, but I learned how to play drums listening to the cassette of Motley Crue Shout the Devil and Def Pyromania. Okay. And I would just try to play along with it. And at first it was miserable, mm-hmm. but eventually like I was like, oh, I got this. And then I started adding more albums to the repertoire, and it was fun. Did you ever
0: uh, at any point go
2: for like lessons? or? Yeah. I, I did. In
1: 1985, when they introduced music to us in school, the percussion instrument, I took it. I thought it was fun. We got to play the bells, which I... I don't know, if, I guess it was a xylophone, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> they called it Bells at the time, but it was basically like a mini xylophone, and then uh, we had a snare drum, and they used to teach us all the rudiments and stuff like that, and I liked it, but then when I moved, the school I moved to didn't have a music program, so then I didn't have it again until ninth grade, and when I had it in ninth grade, the teacher was always berating me, because my music reading skills weren't up to par with his students but mm. I'd only had it for two years mm. and uh, you're talking like a you know a few years difference so I just dropped it cause I was to me I thought like I can play the drums already I don't give a shit about this guy <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: so I just uh, I quit and I took lessons a few years ago again just cause I wanted to try to relearn how to read music cause I I just felt like as a drummer, there's, you can always be better. And that was something that I thought that I needed to do. So I, I did that for a few years. I'm still not great at it. But I, and, you know, I've gotten better at it. It was almost like when I sat down and he showed me those tips, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember all this from growing, you know, when I was a kid. So yeah, I, I don't know. I just like it. Mm. it it's fun. Uh, I'm always looking to try to make myself better at my instrument. So to me, it just made sense. When when you uh,
0: first picked up drums, this was uh, you were still out in the Midwest?
1: Yes, in Kansas.
0: Kansas, okay. So what's it like growing up in Kansas? Tell this Jersey boy what it's like growing up in Kansas. Uh,
1: they like Jesus there. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. I, I, it's not a bad place, you know? It's like it's like anywhere. The people are nice. There's good people, there's bad people, there's rich people, there's poor people. I mean, it's community. Like, I guess like this one, it's just, uh it was in the Midwest, so it would have been more like 50s-ish, where like you knew everybody and you know, you knew all your neighbors. I mean, granted, yeah, we didn't know everyone in the town. But, uh, yeah, the people were fine.
0: High school football games were the big Deal every week, or yeah. one of those sorts of throwbacks.
1: I, I mean, I guess I, mm-hmm. you know, I was I moved away from there between the summer of seventh and eighth grade.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I had a brother that was four years older than me, and he had just entered high school the year we left. So, or no, sorry, he was almost finished high school, but because um, it was Kansas, the high school wasn't even in our town. It was like twenty miles away. So I think we went to like two or three games. Like, cause mm-hmm. My brother was in yeah. a marching band because okay. he played drums also. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was cool. But marching band wasn't for you. You know, I think I would have done it if I would have lived there. And yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it was just like I had that gap yeah. where I wasn't playing. And when I went back into it, like my plane was nowhere near the people of my age. Sure. So I just, yeah. I kind of just... Maybe it was a little lack of confidence, and also just me being like, "Screw those guys." So I've heard from uh, a reliable source. I don't know if you if you if you want
0: to talk about. It. You were kicked out of a Catholic school. Is that? Am I getting
1: that right? Not, not really. We got into trouble a lot. Oh, okay. And I think my mom took us out. I, I'm not really sure because you're she, She's never told me. <laughs> We got in trouble a lot because, you know, we're a couple of hungry boys. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I guess even at that young age, I had a problem with rules and stuff. <laughs> As you said, it was always stupid stuff I got in trouble for. But I think it was just at one point my mom was like, that's enough. They're out. I don't know the whole details of that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I only went to kindergarten and first grade. So I don't even know okay.
2: I didn't realize it was that
1: young. Oh yeah, it was a long time. Ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I never asked because I was just happy to get yeah. out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yeah. No, I was, I, I was Catholic
0: school kindergarten through tenth grade. That uh, was awful. I asked for years to get to get the fuck out, and finally they relented in tenth grade. Yeah, so uh, you, when do you move uh, out east?
1: Uh, we moved out here in nineteen eighty seven. My mom couldn't find a job for a long time in Kansas, and I basically just think we couldn't afford our house, and we have Italian relatives out here, because my Italian side came to New York, but my grandfather ended up in Kansas training for World War II, and then met my mom, married, stayed there after the war. They came to New York, but from what I've always heard, it was kind of like Green Acres where she hated it, Mm. and so they moved back to Kansas. So um, our relatives in New York and New Jersey were like, you got to move out east. There's tons of jobs out here. So my parents were like, let's do it. Because we were about to declare bankruptcy because we couldn't afford our house. So that's basically what happened. They just moved out here for a better opportunity because there was, the economy was so dead in that town in Kansas I lived in.
0: So uh, around what age do you start? You know, playing with other people, getting into bands, and that sort of stuff.
1: Um, it started in early high school, but it, at first it was kind of you know nonsense. You know, trying to play with people that never wrote songs, so you'd end up playing like some stupid you know might be a Metallica song or a Red Hot Chili Peppers song, and it was fine, you know, at the time. But I formed my first band where we actually wrote stuff and like played shows in ninety. I want to say ninety three. Maybe ninety four. It was right towards the end of high school. And then that band broke up and I didn't do any I was just working. And then my friend Pat asked me if I wanted to join his band Vine Society that they did tours and like did real albums. So I was like, Well yeah, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I was just working. So I was like, Yeah, I'll do that. So I joined that in ninety six. And then in ninety seven I went on my first tour. And that was just it was a two week tour. Mainly of the south. Like I think we went as far as or, over as Texas. But we pretty much started on the east coast and just went down. It was like two weeks and then we came back. And then I was hooked. It was a blast.
0: So what was that like? Living out of a van or
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Sleeping on floors, living in van. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was pretty uh it was kind of shitty, but it like it was fun, you know sure. I, mean? I was a kid I was away from home mm-hmm. you know doing what any kid that it's like when you first go to college and you're like, it's eleven am I can have a beer. this is awesome, <laughs> you know what I mean? like it's that whole like no rules, you know it was great,
0: and for somebody who didn't like rules and had a problem with
1: authority it was, yeah it was just a it good was, environment it was a, it was a blast, you know I, I mean, I still miss it. think i did i did like 14 u.s tours and three european tours okay it was awesome it's 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 the kind of thing that like i wish i wish i compensated well enough to just do that for a living because Mm. it's that much fun
2: you know
0: so give me a couple good tour stories from these tours. some of the fun stuff, the wild stuff, The I didn't think I would see that, but I saw that
2: <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I have a lot.
1: Um, Alright, so one time uh, we played this squat in Chemnitz, Germany. It's in the eastern block, or the eastern part of Germany, which in 1999 was still really fucked up. Like, okay. there were still buildings blown apart from World War II. Like, you were just like, I mean, we were shocked. We were like, this is Crazy. Um so I played this place in Chemnitz and we pulled up you know, everyone seemed nice. It kinda looked like uh, Escape from New York out front. It was like these two old buildings that were like looked pretty shitty. Like it looked like an average building you would see like on a boarded up block in Newark, maybe. And um so we went in there and like they had this little setup. That the when you're in a punk or hardcore band in in Europe, mostly playing squats, which squats are basically abandoned buildings that people move into and live for free. And a lot of them are really smart, where they can like climb an electricity pole and wire electricity into the house and get free electricity. You're like, this is amazing. It's like they figured out how to beat the system, you know. And and it was cool because a lot of places in Europe which I think this will be an awesome thing to do here. In Europe, a lot of those abandoned buildings. I don't know if it's changed since, but at the time, the government would basically give you the building and be like, you have to give back to your community. So it might have a cafe in the bottom floor and then all the squatters lived upstairs. Or it might be a music venue and they all live, you know, in the building. Or they had a daycare. But like, it was totally this cool, like, positive thing where you were like, you know, I lived in Philadelphia. There were tons of abandoned buildings. It was like, why not do that there? It's a great idea, I think, you know. But then you remember capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that's why it would never happen here. But uh, it was really cool. And um, so we played this place in Chemnitz. And the place we played, it had lights that had, a, like, they had their own bar. They fed us, even though it was kind of... just kind of fucked up. Because when we pulled up there, there was this big trough. And there was this, like... Squatter standing around it. And I specifically remember this girl... Like, dipping her hand in there. But, like, her hands were... Like, it was basically like a homeless person. Like, you could see the dirt all over their hands. And, like, they were really dirty. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I have to eat this? You know? I, I did, because I was hungry. So, but... We definitely weren't that happy about it. So we played the show. It was like a two-hour show. was a lot of fun. They really liked it. And then after the show, they took us to the other building. that was like, it would have basically been next door. And we went in, and there was no electricity, which is sometimes happened at squats. There was no electricity. There was no running water. They took us into the room we were in. There were a bunch of dogs barking, but we couldn't see them because it was pitch black and there was just a piece of carpet hanging over the window it was snowing at this time and in February so it was probably like 10 degrees and this flap is just blowing away and we're like "Ah, oh, fuck are you kidding me like I'm not sleeping in here you know and uh a few of the guys in our band were like we're sleeping in the van there wasn't enough room for all of us in the van so we went back into the park with electricity and we're like, is there anywhere we can sleep in here where it's warm and stuff? They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you up to the bookstore. So they took us up to the bookstore. It was cold as shit in there. There was no way to heat it. And I think this was like towards the end of a six-week tour. And uh I was pissed off because there was no wood to light a fire. I was cold as shit. I was sick and tired of de- dealing with these East Germans that, like, even though Bill Clinton was president, they were like, ah, oh, you guys are so stupid, you Americans. You know? And I was like, oh, you want anarchy motherfuckers? So I started taking their anarchist books and just burning them in the fire to, like, keep warm. Oh, shit! And I was kind of like, that's anarchy motherfucker. I was like, fuck you. So that was one. <laughs>
0: So, uh, so when you're traveling, you know, all these miles away to go play, and you're playing in squats, I imagine it's not for the money.
1: No. At the time, I mean, because that's just where the show is wearing. Huh? Yeah. I did a second tour over there where we toured with, like, a proper touring agency, and, like, we played these awesome clubs every night and stayed in like hotels and stuff but the shows weren't as good Mm. so it was weird there's like these whole two scenes where like when we did it with a tour agency the i guess underground people that wouldn't go to the shows but when we played the squats it'd be like packed to the gills they would just want us to play all fucking night we played like two and a half hours almost every night Which is crazy for a punk band. Yeah,
0: I was about to say, that's that's like hundreds of songs.
1: (laughs) Well, but, see, we had our bass player at the time was a teacher, so we had to get a fill-in, and we only taught him 16 songs. So we went over there with 16 songs to play two and a half hours every night. So we basically played the set twice. And then just started learning covers during soundcheck. Okay. I think by the time the tour was over, we were doing like nine cover songs a night. We would, like, do random. Like, we did War Pigs one time. I was going to ask what kind of stuff you were you were covering. Yeah. Mostly punk stuff, like Mind of Threat songs, or Fear, um, Gnostic Front. We did Black Sabbath. It was fun. I mean, it was kind of like, it was like, what do we know that we can learn quick? You know what I mean? And it's not really that we, it was just like, you know, because, like, the thought of playing the set three times, it's just like, no, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I quit. <laughs> you know? But it was it, it was fun.
0: What are some other cool places you played, whether whether abroad or, or
1: here? Uh, oh, geez. A lot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I mean, I got to play France a few times. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. I liked France, and uh i'd always heard being in a band that like oh france sucks like the french people suck and when i went there i was like i think it's amazing here like i like the people I, in paris i thought they were a little more rude but it, i guess that would be kind of like going to new york you know mm. i thought they were a little stuck up there but uh i mean i liked it played italy like you never believe the nicest people that you meet that like They let you into their homes. They feed you. It's crazy. I don't think I would do it here. I don't think I'd let a bunch of strangers in here. You know, I just don't trust people that much. But people used to always let us in. They were super hospitable. Like, it was amazing. It was such a neat little community that, like, I don't, you don't really see that in our normal community. You know what I mean? Maybe you do, but the Christian groups, I don't know. Right. (laughs) So, um, so does this,
0: when does this start to kind of like, that kind of lifestyle start to slow down a bit for
1: you? Uh, it slowed down probably by like 2000, 2001. I mean, most of those 14 tours I did were in that time yeah. from 97 to 2001. And it was just like, you know, I, I worked at a video store at the time because I couldn't get a new job because I was always gone. Mm. But I had this job where the guy would let me come back all the time. And I was also the manager. There was a video store. I mean, I didn't pay shit. You know, I was probably like $7 an hour at the time. So, you know, when you're gone like that and then you come home, sometimes you don't get a paycheck for three weeks. And granted, like, yeah, we would, you know, if we toured for like, six weeks or something like that, I might come home with $700 in my pocket. But that doesn't hardly cover, you know, if you've been gone for six weeks to come home with $700, can't pay rent, you know, can't pay anything really. So I would have to live on credit cards when I got home. And then eventually just my debt ran up and mm-hmm. up. And, and, and being in the band that long, you start to personalities start to clash. And stuff like that, people start to get on your nerves. Um, it was one of those things, like, we were right on the cusp of maybe being able to live off of it. But it was just like, I can't, I can't go any further. Like, I just can't. You know what I mean? I, I had no money. I was like, credit cards are maxed out. Like, you know, it's just like, I can't do this. And I, at the time, I had a serious, serious girlfriend And we were talking about getting married, and I was like, oh, I can't do that, doing this. I have to go back to school. So I think just all that stuff together, you know, it's like the struggles of trying to make it, but yet not. And, you know, a girlfriend that wants to get serious, and you're like, yeah, I want to do that too, but obviously I can't do that and be gone for, you know six to eight weeks at mm. a time and coming home with maybe money, maybe not. Like some, There were a couple of times we came home and we had like Um uh, I did a... I did a tour in the West Coast. I don't remember the year. Um, but I would say probably 99 or 2000 maybe. And our van blew up Or blew a piston. It blew a piston on the highway in California. And this was a van that we got we we did a we signed with an independent label in New York. And we got a ten thousand dollar advance. And we're like, we're gonna buy a nice van. We bought a nice van. We toured the country. And in California, the engine blew. And then we found out what it's like to have one of those secondhand warranties from, like, a used vehicle. And so, basically, our shop, our our van sat in a dealership in California, Corona, California, for 14 days while we sat in this really shitty, like, $29-a-night hotel room for, like, 14 days. And then we were just like, fuck it. And two of us flew home and two of us went home with the van because that was all the tour money we had left. And that was it. I came home with nothing. So that was a lot of fun. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's all, it's like all the shit I did was, it's kind of, it made me stronger. You know, there was another time in Germany. I remember we stayed at a place where there was no heat and it was super fucking cold. It's like, Germans don't like heat. (laughs) <laughs> like, I noticed that when I was over there. It was like, you would know, always be fucking cold. Like, I was cold the whole fucking time I was there, and I could feel it in my bones. And we played at this place in Leipzig, and, you know, it usually had really shitty sleeping situations. But this one, there were just a bunch of mattresses on the floor. And there was a coal stove in there, which the dude that ran the club was like, I'm going to get you coal, I'll bring it back. He got drunk, disappeared. We had no heat. Um, And there were no
0: anarchist books around to
1: burn. Nothing. (laughs) And there are fucking rats running around in here. Like, the mattresses are just on the floor. So it's like, we're seeing rats and I'm just, I was so tired. I was just like, fuck it. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care if the rats eat my face. I just die. (laughs) I just didn't care. You know, I was like, it doesn't matter. I will say some of those situations now. When I end up in a fucked up situation now, I'm just like, cool, I've been there, I've done a lot of this shit, <laughs> you know? It, I mean, it was, it was at the time, it was just like, what the fuck am I doing? But now when I look back, I can laugh, and I'm like, you know what, that was a really fun time.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of us, you know, not that it's our dream to sleep around rats, but like, the idea of being you know professional musician and touring and you know that that lifestyle is is, it's fun attractive to to folks it's
1: fun you know i mean i work a real job now it's just so different you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you're playing in a band like someone annoys you you can just be like fuck off you know you don't really care you know like i can't say that at work you know I, i would fucking love to so so
0: when this was slowing down for you and you yeah. had the serious girlfriend, like, is this when you decide to go to
1: school of visual arts? Or? Well, um, not exactly. I was silk screening to supplement my income when I was in a band, and I was printing T shirts for other bands. Sometimes I was bootlegging punk shirts and selling them on eBay, and like it was nice. It, I wasn't making. I was getting by. I wasn't rich, you know what I mean, but sometimes, sometimes I make between 300 and 500 a week, which is awesome when, you know, you have a $7 an hour job. So uh, I was silk screening, and when this whole thing happened where it was like I was going to get married, I took, also took graphic arts classes in high school. So I was talking to some people, and they were like, why don't you learn graphic design? That's just the computer aspect of basically what you do. You do layout. You've done this shit for years. Like, why not? So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a class. So I took a summer class in it, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. So I was like, why not? So I just, I, I think at the time, I was thinking, like, well, if I learn the computer aspect, I can still silkscreen t-shirts and design stuff for people, and, like, I'm set. And then I can just play music. So I was thinking that would be cool. And then, uh, then after 9-11, like, people just stopped buying shit. Like the economy kind of... I went on eBay from making like five to 600 a week to like 20 bucks a week. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. So uh, I started working in a restaurant. And um, by that time, I was taking classes full time. And I was like, you know what, I'm uh, I'm just gonna finish school because I didn't have time for the silk screening stuff anymore. But I was taking graphic design classes, and I thought it would be, I kind of thought it would be fun. <laughs> I mean, it is fun. It can be fun. I think any art is more fun if you have complete control. Mm. You know, when I mean graphic design, you do a lot of stuff where you start out with a Product you love, and then a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes it turns into a product you hate or a project that you're not proud of. But I mean, but that's how it goes in art, right?
2: Sure, yeah.
0: And you know, as a teacher, there's right. things that I have to do and stuff that I have to teach where you know, I don't have complete control over it, you know. And, right, like, and that's awesome. sometimes I feel like I need a shower when I go.
1: And I feel the same way what I get.
0: So, do you have uh, an exact count as to how many records you have?
1: How many of... Oh. No.
0: Okay. <laughs> if you had That's, to estimate... I don't
1: know, maybe 3,000? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I started... So when did that start? When did you start collecting? When I was like maybe 13? Well, I, you know... I mean honestly the the first two records I got well there's a couple um one of them was a rock, Rocky soundtrack <laughs> um one of them was Kiss Love Gun and then a the journey album. uh I think Escape Escape or Revolution I forget but we got those when we were kids like in the 70s like it was kind of like me and my brothers. So I have them now because my brother could care less about records. But then I didn't really. I mean, because in the eighties, the cassettes thing was, you know, it was easier. I could listen to that portable. My we had one record player. It was in my living room. I'm sure my parents didn't want to listen to rap <laughs> or Twisted Sister or whatever the hell that you know. I, I was liking it those days. So I probably started buying records again when I was fourteen, and the. It's dropped off for a while, but I've gotten so many the past few years because I do a lot of graphic design work for a friend of mine in L.A. that owns a label. And we're old friends, I think, otherwise it'd be a problem because I do a lot of work for them and get traded in records. So it's it's cool and it's not. <laughs> like, money is always king. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also it's awesome to get, you know, 50 records in the mail and be like, sweet. You know, like, it's, I have a lot more records. And um, what's great about him is he owns a punk record store. So if he gets, like, Rolling Stones records, they're, like, two bucks. Like, it's all super cheap. Like, you know, anything that anything that's not punk is super cheap. So, like, I've gotten, like, League records off him, like Rolling Stones, you know, all kinds of stuff that, like, to him is worthless. But I'm like, this is great. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, a couple that are, uh, I
0: don't know, you know, because I've pared down, like I'm down to like 150, you know, and I was never anywhere near right. 3000 to begin with, you know, do you have a couple that are like, I don't know, obscure or like a rare gem or like, uh, yeah, I got it.
1: Yeah.
0: That are just like, <laughs> this is really cool nugget that I have in my collection.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of that, but especially with like the. I mean, a lot of the punk and new wave stuff, some of it was, like, so underground. They did, like, 500 records, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, you know, now some of those records, if they're sought after, they're, like, you know, $500 mm-hmm. or more. Like, some of them I was lucky and bought. Like, I have a lot of Misfits records, and when I, when I got into the Misfits, they weren't that popular. Like, pretty much now they're the Kiss of Punk. Like, you can Buy their shirts at Target and Walmart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, right. I see
0: students with misfit shirts. I'm like, do you even right. know what? Like-
1: but it wasn't like that back <laughs> when. I, you know, when I was when I was 14 and discovered them, I was just like, well, I was beat, deep. You know, I was like single about horror movies and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff was super expensive then. Like no one gave a shit about it. You know, everyone cared about Molly Crew or something. You know, it's just they weren't. They weren't popular, so I bought a lot of their stuff when I was like 14, 15. and then like now a lot of it's. I I just started cataloging my records on Discogs. It's mainly so I don't buy a double. <laughs> um. But yeah, some of these Misfits records I couldn't believe. Like I was like, I should just sell my Misfits collection. Like it was worth thousands of dollars. There's a mortgage payment right there. <laughs> right. Just just the Misfits. Stuff. Yeah. But there's all kinds of stuff. Like, I have a a Minor Threat record that I traded a friend of mine for comic books in the 90s. And it was probably... I think it still has the price tag of what he bought it for, which is probably 20 bucks or something like that. I was listening to it a few years ago. And then when I was cataloging my records, I was like, holy shit, this is the first pressing and it's worth $500. I was like, I can't even play this record. So I just shelved it and had to buy the reissue for $20 because I was like, I'm not going to play that. Mm. And, and not because I want to sell it. I'm just like, it's the first press and I want to keep it, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, what what do
0: you think drew you to, well, first we should say, your your musical taste of what you listen to is all over the place. It is. Yeah. So, I mean there's a Venn diagram where 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 we overlap because I <laughs> I definitely have a wide range but uh you're yeah you you've got uh, the reggae and the beastie boys and you know like you said the punk and the new wave and the classic rock and all over the place I think right? at the
1: end of the day mostly I just like rock and roll yeah. you know what i mean like anything from buddy holly well maybe not a lot of modern rock and roll, I think, kind of sucks. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. What is modern rock and roll now? You know, a friend
0: of mine w- was having uh, that, that same kind of conversation a while back. Um,
2: like, what's you know, considered that it, that a rock band?
0: I don't know. You know, it's like, he was like, rock's kind of lost its
1: way because everything is either pop or hip-hop now. I mean, they're, you know? they're like bands that are considered rock, but like to me, it's bullshit. You know, like the Foo Fighters are considered a rock band. I yeah. consider them a rock band. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. They're good. Yeah, but I can't think of many others. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I music has passed me by, and you know, like I only I only see live music when I go see fish. So it's like I right, right. I don't know what's going on. You know? I yeah,
1: I just I, I think part of that comes from playing music, and I'm always looking for new ideas for playing music, you know what I mean, look, I've played hardcore and punk for 20 years on drums, so it's like, anything like funk to me is like crazy, because it's so different than like, you know, everything I do, is basically 4-4, you know, it's real fast, real heavy, but like you get into some of that other stuff, like the funk drum beats and stuff, like it's neat, and it's neat to think about it. It's, it's neat to think about my instrument in a different way than I've always thought about it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't always that up minded That's only probably happened. I mean, I think the older I got, I was like, well, I, I guess I am a musician. I've been playing for a long time. And, uh, you know, so I might listen to some jazz and listen to, like, Mac, Max Roach, mm-hmm. who's, like, an amazing drummer. Or even Keith Moon the who Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah I don't know I just I think at one point I just uh, my thirst for music got more got more hungry Mm. I needed to hear more Mm. and I like to hear different ideas being expressed and there's a lot of stuff in punk that's neat there's a lot of stuff in new wave that's neat there's a lot of stuff in post punk that's neat reggae like reggae drums are so different from like heavy metal drums you know what I mean so it's neat to dive into that Mm -hmm and kind of and not that I can play all those styles successfully but I like them and it, it
2: yeah I don't
0: know I remember learning about um on the one mm-hmm. in the in, in funk right watching like a, a documentary and you know um Bootsy Collins and George Clinton were, were talking about like learning that Well, Bootsy especially in when he was with James Brown right you know and then George Clinton was like, Yeah, we play on the one, but we play like at the end of the one. So and like there's only so much that a, like a non musician like me could like comprehend, you know, from that. But like I started to think about it. Yeah, I don't you know, really Yeah. You know, I, I don't know
1: what they're talking about, but I'm sure <laughs> I, I although I did did you read that interview last week when um, Bootsy Collins basically said he left James Brown because of L S D? Like <laughs>
0: No, but I did see uh for a quick minute, Mike Judge has this new thing where it's um like tour stories uh-huh. and they animate them and stuff. Are oh, you kidding? Yeah, yeah, no, uh oh. I think it was on Showtime. And one of them is about um Bootsy and a couple of the, the younger dudes that were in James Brown's band had acid like it you know, like a, I don't know like a big gulp or some shit like that. Like yeah. mixed in and they're just taking sips of it outside the show and 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 james was like very anti-drug right and so he comes out and uh, and just grabs it takes a sip of it (laughs) you know
1: and and apparently it was a wild night you know because he he had he had never done anything like that before yeah yeah well i think it changed the course because have you ever heard the parliaments it's totally like motown shit that's awesome yeah. I only heard it a few years ago and I was like wow that's amazing
2: yeah
1: I almost got to design an album not through them but it was through a record company, and it was apparently a band they did between the Parliaments and Parliament Funkadelic I turned it down because they offered me like it was like basically no money and I was like yeah no I'm not doing that even though I was kind of like this would be so awesome to work on a fucking George Clinton record but yeah, yeah. You know, for two hundred bucks.
0: No. Nah. <laughs> so, what do you think drew you to um, the the? Because you you see a lot of live shows too, besides yeah. playing. So, what what drew you to that style of music, that punk and hardcore scene?
1: Uh, the anger. It, you know what? At the time when I discovered that stuff, it is in like the mid to late eighties. uh skateboarding. I was angry. as most kids are, frustrated. Um I already like stuff like Metallica and Slayer. Um so when I heard Punk it was like more aggressive than the like the metal stuff. But like I could relate to it more. You know, like you listen to Motley Crew and like they're talking about all these girls that they're hooking up with and stuff. You know, I'm like a you know, a sixth grade Girls make fun of me all the time, you know. Um, And then I hear this band where they're just angry and at the wall. And I was like, that's how I feel. And it was just, I connected instantly. You know, it was just, I I, I got it. You know, I was angry. This stuff was just like the metal stuff, but there were no, like, no songs were eight minutes long. There were no, like, stupid guitar not there's nothing wrong with guitar solos but when you feel like it's just a bunch of musicians showing off like an orchestra you're like yeah this is dumb um yeah I just connected with it instantly like, it was aggressive it was angry well aggressive and angry kind of the same thing. <laughs> but uh yeah it was just fast and in your face and I, I liked it I don't know it, it was kind of like it, it really spoke to me
0: so what drew you to, like, graphic arts? Because I know you said you were taking some classes. What what clipped do you think?
1: I, don't know. I just thought it was cool. I was like, oh, I can print my own t shirts and stuff. Right. And, you okay. know, I could I could make my own Misfits T-shirt, <laughs> which I think I did do in, yeah. in graphic arts. It was just like, I think it was just kind of like, oh, this is cool. I could make my own stuff. You know, I could make a shirt that said fart on it. Not that I did, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I just thought it was cool. And like the printing aspect I was like, oh I could I could join a band, I could print flyers at school, I could print T shirts, you know, like all stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it was all self it was all a benefit myself, but I just thought it was uh Do
0: you ever get to work on stuff now, like that's outside of things that, that people request of you or or, or pay you for? Is there is there Stuff that you do just on the side, just like somebody might, I don't know, just paint the painting because they feel like it.
1: I've done one painting in a year. Because of what I do for a living, I prefer to do music because I feel like I have complete control over it. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, like, the whole painting or, you know, any of the other shit that I do at work, I'm just like, Egh. I'm just not into it when Yeah, it's funny when I did music all the time. I did more paint because it was like a way to divert my attention from that. And then once I got really back in, well, once I don't want to say get back into it because it's you know it's my job. So once I had to do art for a job, I didn't uh, like. I just don't paint as much. I just would rather play music because I feel like yeah I don't know I can't really I can't explain it hundred percent why mm-hmm. right it's just it, it's diverting that energy to something else to like take away from the other mm-hmm. which I'm fine
0: with yeah. yeah you know it's not like uh I think when something becomes a job, you oh. know it's like you don't you want to escape that it's hard even if it's a job that you like. It's one of the reasons why I started this, this little hobby of mine, you know, is because, um, you know, I, I kind of didn't really have, you know, a whole lot of interest that I was pursuing. And, and so.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. always
1: fun to do something that's different than what, what you do seven, you know, five days a week. Yeah. Just to, it, it pulls your head out of that and yeah. can almost make you, I mean, I know you're a teacher, so you probably have work to do tomorrow. But otherwise, I'd say Monday, you go in refreshed. You know, it's kind of, when I played music full time, I did more art because I needed that Mm. to balance out the other. But now that I do art more and it, it's more draining to me to do art commercially. So I just, I'm not really interested in painting or any, like I don't even know what I'd want to paint. I just daggers to people's eyes.
0: All right, so I'm playing, uh, I don't know, call it a game or whatever with folks, but before we talk about uh, your outro music, is there any book or album or movie um, that is real memorable to you that kind of speaks to you in a way that's like, you know, well, that's kind of like Jason, like this book here or that
2: movie? Uh,
1: I'd say. First and foremost would be on the road. Okay. On Kerouac. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I knew that for years or any of that. Um, when I was at college at SBA, I took a class on the beat generation mm. like, just because I thought it would be cool for like an English class. I didn't really know any, I mean, I knew who William Bros was, I knew who Ginsburg was, and Kerouac, and I was like, I think this might be cool. So I took them. and it was actually really fucking great. Um, it was taught by this woman, Regina Weinreich. And she's actually a New York Times writer sometimes. But she knew a lot of those beats and organized some, I want to say like some kind of beat reunion that happened, like in the 80s or something. And she knew most of those dudes. Like she knew Corso and she knew Burroughs, she knew Ginsburg. She had no Kerouac because he died. Mm. long time ago Mm. I don't even know if she ever met him I forget but she knew a lot of those people and um, when I read that book it was basically just like when I toured and I was like holy shit this is like it it just spoke to me and I've read it maybe four times three or four times and last time I read it the most interesting thing about it I noticed that it has a tempo. It speeds up in certain spots, and it slows down. And it's really cool. When I noticed it, I was like so psyched, I was like, holy shit, this book has a fucking tempo. (laughs) Which, to me, is, uh, it's kind of weird. But it's totally like it speeds up, and it's like a fast jazz song in some spots, or it's like a slow dance. I don't know. I just thought it was really fucking cool. So when I read that book, I was like, It just brought back, like, these flooded memories. Like, man, this was just like what I did. I mean, some of it was a little more shady than that. (laughs) You know, because it was in the 50s, so it wasn't like, you know. But it was uh, was very cool. Um, Movies, wow. There's, like, a million. But uh, i say one movie I liked that totally I was blown away by was Citizen Kane. And I saw that... So, I first went to college in 95 after I graduated high school. I took film because I wanted to be a filmmaker. Like, that was what I wanted to do. Like, I was just like, films are... films that I think. And, um uh, I took this class where we watched... Our thesis was Citizen Kane. We watched it on 35... I think it was 35 millimeter. It might have been 16. I forget. And, uh... It was just so amazing, the way that film was shot and, like, how it it pretty much changed filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And, like, to me, I was just like, when I saw that, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to fucking make films. And I want to do cool shots and, like, tell cool stories, you know. And even though, of course, you know, I saw that so many years later than, like... But the first... Actually, the first movie I saw in the theater... I was probably three years old at Star Wars, so, which is also an awesome movie. But, uh, yeah, seeing Citizen Kane, I was just like, holy shit. And, like, this was filmed in, like, fucking 30s or this, I think the late 20s, I forget. i sure someone on here crucified me for that. <laughs> I think it was the 30s, yeah. I think it was, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that film was amazing. A record that blew my mind. There's a lot. Yeah, no, I would Which imagine is, that's. Tough I had for a really you, yeah. hard time even with the music because I was like, yep. you know, I feel like I get two songs to represent me, and it is like, I could fucking talk about music all day. I can mm-hmm. talk about songs I love that I could listen to, not all day, but several times. <laughs> well, what's what's a maybe a
0: song or an album that that you you vibe with that might surprise me or? You know, some folks who know
1: you a little bit, but not, like, really well. King's The Village Green? Okay. I fucking love that record. Which is also something I heard years later. But, uh, I don't know if you ever heard it.
0: I, I'm not good with albums. I'm good with songs, but I don't know, like, that was on such and such
1: album. or. or That's a fantastic album. It was probably, I would say, probably one of the best King's albums ever made. And... It was released shit. I think it was released the same day as the Beatles White Album. So basically like of course it couldn't keep up with that. So like in history it's like a fart where like the White Album's like you know, is heaven basically. <laughs> but uh I think that album gives the white I-, I like it better than the White Album, because there's a lot of nonsense on the White Album. Not that this is a music vlog. <laughs> But, you know, the White Album's great, but there's songs that I'm just like, too many drugs, this is nonsense. <laughs> you know, like the number nine, number nine. Yeah. I
2: hate
1: that Rocky Raccoon. <sighs> ah, I feel like you could take that album and put the best songs on one album instead of a double. I can see that. You know, some of the, some of the White Album songs, the first time
0: I heard them was Watching a bootleg VHS oh, really? of Fish when they covered the entire album in Halloween '94. So, that was so the first time I heard, um, I'm, everybody's I'm got something to hide except for me and my monkey. It was, it was them, you know. I and and so, and then then I listened to the white album to see the roots of it, you know.
1: I'd love to hear the conversations of those rehearsals. Like, if once if somebody was like, This is bullshit. this song. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Because uh, yeah. some of
1: that stuff is just like drug-induced nonsense. Well, so, yeah, and I
0: think some people would accuse not me,
1: uh, Fish of <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: yes, it's drug-induced yeah. nonsense.
1: They're pretty known for that. Especially yeah.
0: their early stuff.
1: They're yeah. known for that.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been listening to uh, that, that, uh, not that they need me to plug them, but uh, that Sound Opinions that you
2: yeah, put me on. It's that, cool,
0: is it? Yeah, yeah I, like, I like it a lot. Um, they were doing something, uh, was the one they were doing, and I was listening to, like, uh, basically this blues enthusiast started his label, Alligator Records. Yeah, yeah I that one. Yeah, it's and, it's, and it's just like, I was going to these bars, nobody was recording these dudes, I recorded these dudes, yeah, it was just like a labor of love, which was, was really cool. Uh, time for plugs. Where can we find... Duffy's Cut, your art, to get in touch with you, to do graphic arts for, for people, for money and
1: not records. Like, <laughs> what a, or records, if yeah. you got good ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you can, you can view any of the art that I've done on jasonmcowen.com. That's a uh, J-A-S-O-N-M-C-K-O-W-N dot com. Um, my band is Duffy's Cut. We have a website, Duffy's Cut Band dot com. And we're also on like all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook. I'm also on the all the social medias, so you can find me on there if you would like. Where to send the hate mail?
2: <laughs> Whatever you want
1: for not knowing the exact <laughs> date of Citizen Kane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get some worse than Wells fans. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever heard
0: those those uh, those outtakes from when he was doing those commercials when he was older?
2: When he was drunk? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw it a long time ago, but I don't remember that.
1: Like, I remember seeing it and oh, I'm like, seeing it. like this is weird. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh okay, so outro music, uh, running on the
1: spot by the jam.
2: Yeah. Okay,
1: tell me about that. Why'd you pick that? I don't it's just a song I really like. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I had there were so many songs that like I was like I couldn't decide.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: And I was like, I feel like I have to play my band because otherwise I just seem like an asshole. <laughs> just being like, I'm going to play this song by uh missing person. <laughs> you know? So, uh, it's it's a jam song that's on their last album. It's a song I really like. It has the, it has this little breakdown in it where it's almost like this Beatles kind of thing. Like, I like it. I think it's a really good song by a band that I love. And I guess right now it'd be a current favorite because of, that's not my favorite James song. It's a current Dave James song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I love that band, and so, you know, it's like to pick a replacement song. Do I pick like a Misfits? Look like, at that. I felt like, bad asking
0: you because for me, I have an iPod Classic. Still, you can pry it from my pulled dead hands, <laughs> and it's got seventeen thousand songs on it. Right, you know, and so I'm like. Asking me to do that would be right. ridiculous. Asking you to do it is even beyond.
1: Yeah, it was kind of, it was a struggle. It was a struggle, <laughs> and I still don't even like. I'm sure I'll hear this later and be like, "Oh, I should have picked this song. Or this yeah. song. But like that's you know, I, I, I'm I'm in love with music, <laughs> right? And and that's <laughs> and uh, there's so what much stuff. You know, if you were told to pick two songs that represented you, like, you'd be like, oh, now my head's gonna explode. (laughs) And that's how I felt. Because I was like, it's like, if you ask me my top five favorite bands, I don't think I can answer Like, there's so many bands I like. It's like, I don't know. There's ones I like more than others, but if I had to pick just five, nah, I could pick like 30.
0: Yeah, that's tough. Well, maybe you should do a music podcast.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Is so, time for that?
1: It's not that I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be ready for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like that would make my head explode. Because <laughs> it would just be, I love music. I could, it'd be like three-hour long podcast.
2: For four or five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> On what album. Just listen to you on a Sunday
0: afternoon playing records, and then in between get, talking about it. Yeah. I
1: just have to get one of my record nerd friends on there yeah. that like is in love with like Black Sabbath, Paranoid, and like we'd be talking for five hours.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, we've only been talking for about an hour, Uh and that's kind of where I like to keep it. So, okay. thank you very much. Is there I any, really. Any question you didn't want to get to ask me? No, no. I think I think I think we're good. I. I really appreciate you uh, giving me your time. And uh, folks, you're about to hear a current fave by the jam. conversation with jason i enjoyed it uh, i thought it went well still working on a few things with sound uh, probably only you you sound nerds you audiophiles out there would would know what i'm talking about so i'm not going to bore the rest of you with the details but you know i'm working on it how about that story with the uh, irish railroad workers right that was pretty wild you can go to humans.net for show notes and some links to some of the stuff that we were talking about in the episode and if you click on contact there, you'll also find my email and all the social media, including a button where you can donate to the cause through Patreon. I'm trying to offset the cost of some of this equipment and some of the hosting fees. So if you're liking what you're hearing, please consider donating. You can start with as little as a dollar a month. Okay, folks, stay human. Once the streets are alive with the sound of oh, Can I hear it once again? Oh, tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every box got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive With the sound of oh, Can I hear it once again? Oh, tell your neighbor, tell a friend Every flower got a right to be blooming Because all the freaky people Make the beauty of the world All the
2: freaky
0: people make the beauty of the world Because all the freaky people Make the beauty of the world Because all the freaky people Make the beauty of the world